Good morning. My name is Lynn Snyder, and I'll be reading our scripture passage this morning, which is Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. We're grateful that we get to come each Sunday morning and mingle our voices with the voices of your people and, and worship. It's encouraging. It's right. Father, we pray that what we do now would still be a part of that stream of, of worship, that as we look at your word, as we proclaim your word, you would be transforming us to be more that living sacrifice that you call us to be. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, I watch a lot of baseball. This weekend, I was at two games on Friday. I was watching major league games throughout the week. was kind of at a game yesterday until lightning 10 miles away canceled the game. And I'll go to games this afternoon. I love games. When I watch a baseball game, especially when my son Jake's playing or my son Luke's playing, I'm, I'm watching the game through a few different perspectives. One of them is just as a baseball fan. I love the game, and so I can appreciate when a good play is made, even if it's made against my son. I can say, dude, that curveball he struck you out with, that was nasty. Because I'm a fan. I like the game. I like seeing it played well. And I'm also a coach, usually. And, and so I, I can appreciate and look at the game from that perspective and how our team's doing and what we need to work on and things like that. But I'm also a dad, right? So I want to see my kid get the chance to be the hero in the game and drive in the winning run. And I'm inwardly praying that he's not the kid that comes out with the game on the line and two strikes in the bottom of the ninth. It, we, we look at things from different perspectives sometimes. This week, when we're talking about prayer, Jesus challenges us not just to pray or to pray more, but I think he challenges us to adopt the right perspectives in prayer. In prayer. When I look at the Lord's Prayer, and it's a passage that I've preached on multiple times, you've studied, we pray together often, 
But when I was looking at it this week, I think you can see four different perspectives that kind of layer over top of one another that give you a, a fully orbed picture of the kind of prayer Jesus is teaching us. So four different perspectives, and as we walk through each one of those, I think we'll be moving closer and closer to the heart of prayer. We're not going to be taking the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer in order, but I'm throwing out this net and gathering them into these four different perspectives. The first, when we look at Jesus' prayer, I think we're being taught, in part, to pray as a part of God's creation. Pray as a part of God's creation. Adopting this perspective reminds us very much of our dependence on our creator. Do you remember when you were 16 and you got your driver's license? Or maybe you're looking forward to turning 16 when you get your driver's license. And that sense of freedom and independence that came with that. I remember that feeling. It was, it was awesome. I was looking for reasons to go drive and assert my independence. I had opened the fridge and be like, we need milk. Mom, I'm going to go get some milk for us. Like, well, why don't you just walk down to the corner market that is literally a block away? Now it's 50 cents more there. I'm going to spend $2 in gas to drive to the supermarket to buy cheaper milk. Just a warning, guys. When I'm 102, you're going to have to wrestle my driver's license away from me. Because it's that sense of independence. But in reality, that independence is in some ways an illusion, right? Yes, I was independent in a way from my parents needing to drive me everywhere, but I still parked my 79 GMC Vandura in their driveway. And I was still on their insurance. The independence we feel we strive for, we crave, is in reality an illusion. We are in every way, at every moment, dependent upon our God. My existence, your existence, is propped up by God's power. And in prayer, we acknowledge this. In fact, we embrace this dependence. When Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread, he's teaching us to be dependent, to remind ourselves to embrace our dependence on even the mo for even the most basic of needs. Even the most basic of needs. Our daily bread. I feel like that reality gets easily glossed over in today's kind of modern economy. I'll say something that might shock a lot of you. I have never eaten something that I have grown. Never once. We have never had a vegetable garden or a garden of any kind except flowers. My parents never had a garden. To my knowledge, my grandparents never had a garden. If I want food, I go to the store and buy it. I'm removed from those cycles, and many of you are as well, from those cycles of planting and harvest and eating what you've grown. 
So we're removed from that sense of dependence on God to provide the rain, but not too much rain. The sun, but not a scorching sun. And multiply that in every area of our lives. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking we're independent. And as Jesus teaches us to pray, he's reminding us of our dependence on God for even our most basic needs. But he's also, I think, reminding us that we were created for a purpose, and we have to embrace that as well. The first petition of this prayer is, hallowed be thy name. In other words, may your name be regarded, revered as holy. J.I. Packer says that this is the biggest and most basic request of the whole prayer. Understand this, he says, and you've unlocked the secrets of prayer and of life. Too often in prayer, too often in life, we act as though God exists for us. But in reality, we were created and created for a purpose. We exist for God. To glorify Him. To bring glory to His name. And as Jesus teaches us to pray, we're embracing that. And we say, hallowed be your name. So the first perspective is as a part of God's creation. We pray as a part of God's creation. The second perspective, moving a little bit closer, I think, to the the heart of prayer. We pray as a fallen people living in a fallen world. I'm sure all of us have driven cars at one time or another. Right, yeah. Uh, And you hear a weird sound. Now, when I was 16, 17, 18, 25, 30, you just turn the radio up, right? Drown the sound out. Now I'm a little bit more in tune, attentive at least, to those noises. I turn the radio off and I listen. What's that squeak? Well, what's that rattle? The car didn't sound right. The car doesn't feel right. As we navigate life in this fallen world, that kind of attitude should characterize just our waking and sleeping. This world just doesn't sound right, look right, feel right. Because it's not right. It's fallen. It's out of step with God's will. And Jesus teaches us to recognize that in our prayers. And we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an admission that it's not being done now. And a petition that that state of rebellion against God's will wouldn't persist in the world and certainly wouldn't persist in our hearts and in our lives. We pray Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done perfectly, gladly, willingly. But we live right now in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, we need protection from 
temptations and forces that would steer us away from God's will. So again, as a part of this fallen world, Jesus teaches us to pray for that protection. Lead us not into temptation. Help us not be overwhelmed by the snares of this world and protect us from the evil one. Because as we navigate this world, things aren't right. Help us to understand and recognize that and not be sucked in to the not rightness of this world. And as a part of this fallen world, we're taught to acknowledge, to confess, and to repent of our contribution to its fallenness. Forgive us, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass or debt against us. Acknowledging our sin and acknowledging the sin of the world, I think is essential to praying as Jesus would have us pray. Let me pause and ask, is your prayer life what you want it to be? Is it as deep and rich as you want it to be? Probably not. Maybe one of the reasons for that is unacknowledged, unconfessed sin. I remember one of the earliest Bibles I had, there was a quote that I had written in it. It's a quote that I had actually seen in my Aunt Mary's Bible maybe a decade before that. And it said, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. It's great to write in your Bible. If you could find a way to write it over your prayer life, that would be appropriate too. Prayer, as Jesus is teaching us to pray, will keep us from sin, or sin will likely keep us from prayer. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin. I know that when I have engaged in knowing sin, I'm reluctant to go to the Lord in prayer. I still feel as though I might get the cold shoulder from God. Because I know when I've sinned against someone on the kind of horizontal plane, that's what I expect. Begrudging kindness, maybe, but a cold shoulder. And we expect that in our vertical relationship, too. But when we pray as Jesus teaches us to pray, we acknowledge that that's not the case. We pray and we ask for forgiveness, knowing that God stands more ready to forgive than we are to even ask. So the second perspective is we pray as fallen people in a fallen world. The third perspective, we pray as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Again, I think we're taking one step closer to the heart of prayer. We reside in this fallen, broken world but it's not our home. It's not where our citizenship lies. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're here as exiles, as pilgrims, as, as sojourners, but we want to go home. Even better, we want home to come to us. So Jesus teaches us to pray for that. 
your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I think this radically changes our perspective on prayer. As we watch the news, as we have conversations with friends and neighbors, it's not just about us and our circle. It's about the kingdom. So events that happen across the globe don't just affect the markets here or the political situation here or gas prices. They take on a global perspective, a kingdom perspective, I should say. They impact the kingdom of God, their challenges, their opportunities for the advance of the kingdom. When we think kingdom perspective, we're thinking about our fellow citizens in the kingdom, Christians across the globe. We have kingdom concerns. Being conscious of our citizenship in a heavenly kingdom opens our eyes wider to bigger, broader, deeper, more heavenly concerns. Being conscious of our citizenship in the kingdom is essential to praying as Jesus teaches us to pray. But too often, I know I, and I'm guessing you two, are too self-focused in our prayers. Uh, In our house, every once in a while, you'll, you'll hear one of us say something about, oh, that's such a first world problem. Oh, the Wi-Fi is spotty today. Oh, my cell phone keeps freezing on me when I try to play this game. Oh, what a first world problem. I think in our prayer life, we could say way too often, that is a this world problem. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about this worldly concerns. Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread but not to the extent that they drive out kingdom concerns. Kingdom concerns. We get consumed with the upcoming final exam, the raise, the bills, the noise in the car. Those are important things to be praying about. But the way Jesus teaches us to pray reminds us uncomfortably, I think, that there's bigger concerns. Teaches us to pray for the kingdom and to ask ourselves, how do I, or better, how do we make the kingdom more present now? I say we because every one of these petitions in the Lord's Prayer is a plural, right? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us. So it's about us. How do we make the kingdom more present here among us? I would love to challenge you to read through Old Testament prophets, to read through the Gospels, even to read the book of Revelation with an eye to how does the Bible describe the kingdom of God? And how can we, as the people of God, make that more of a reality here among us now. It's an important perspective to adopt in prayer. We pray as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. But we're not quite yet to the heart of prayer. The fourth perspective, I think, gets us there. We pray as sons and daughters of God. We're taught to pray, our Father, 
That was an absolutely radical way to teach his disciples to pray. To address God as their father. But here, we're at the heart of prayer. This is sons and daughters talking with their loving, caring, heavenly father. This is actually the heart of the gospel, the heart of Christian living, the highest privilege of the Christian life, that we have been adopted as sons and daughters in our Father's household. That could be hard to accept, hard to wrap our minds around because it is so fantastic. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard told a parable. He said, imagine a day laborer in a tiny village, uh, a merchant village, and a mighty emperor, the mightiest of all emperors. And one day the day laborer gets a summons to come and appear before the mighty emperor so that he can be honored. This day laborer would be overwhelmed, right? This is such a fantastic privilege. This is something I would tell my children and grandchildren about, that the emperor knew who I was and chose to honor me. But he says, but then imagine the same kind of summons comes to the same day laborer from the same emperor, but not just to come and appear. Instead, to become a part of the household. To be adopted as a son or admitted as a son-in-law into the emperor's family. He said many would be tempted to think that that's just too fantastic. That they're being set up. There's a, a catch, a trick. They're just going to be mocked and humiliated that they would actually believe such good news. Kierkegaard said that's why many don't believe the gospel. It's just too fantastic. It's too good to believe. Addressing God as our heavenly Father is almost too good to believe. I think today maybe we've swung the pendulum to the other extreme. Maybe we don't have the problem that Kierkegaard was describing. Maybe it's a different problem entirely and we don't feel the delight of addressing God as Father like we should. We find it very difficult to delight in the privilege of addressing the sovereign king of the universe as father because we've lost that heritage that emphasizes God's transcendence, his holy otherliness, his majesty. This is the heart of prayer, that the high king of the universe who hung constellations, who measured out the seas in the hollow of his hands, who knows every detail of history and has ordained it, knows us and loves us and wants us to call him Father. Now I ended with this perspective because I think it gets us closest to the heart of prayer. But do you realize when you look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus 
starts with this perspective. He begins here because it shades every other perspective that I was talking about. Yes, we're dependent, but not as wards of the state. We're dependent as children are to their parents. And yes, we're fallen, but we have a father who is ready to forgive, who, as in the parable of the prodigal son, is willing to run to meet us, the penitent prodigals. And yes, we adopt the perspective of citizens in the kingdom, but not as serfs under some tyrant. This is our Father's kingdom. We have a vested interest in this kingdom because it's His kingdom. This is the heart of prayer. We come to our Abba Father. His concerns are ours because He's our Father. And our concerns are His because we're His children. I would strongly encourage you to make praying the Lord's Prayer part of your normal devotional life. I know it maybe can just feel habitual, but that's okay. Habits shape us. Habits form us. My family's devotional life, we don't pray the Lord's Prayer all the time or every day, but we pray it often enough. It's kind of a running joke because I always introduce the Lord's Prayer with the words, we haven't done the Lord's Prayer in a while, we should do that tonight. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we pray as he taught us to pray, it shapes our perspectives. So that even then when we're not praying it word for word, the concerns, the attitudes, they still flow out of us. This is how our Lord taught us to pray. So let's pray this prayer together. Can we? Would you stand as we pray this? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Amen.